When it comes to high conflict custody litigation, there are times when the court may appoint an attorney to represent the children. My guest here today is Katie Lewis, and she's gonna to talk to us about the role of the amicus attorney. We're gonna talk about the responsibilities of an amicus attorney in working with the children, and some of the common mistakes that parents make when an amicus is appointed in their case. Katie is a dedicated and experienced family law attorney here in North Texas. She's board certified, and she's often recognized by her peers for her outstanding work that she does in our community. Katie, I'm so excited to have you here to talk to us today about the role of the amicus attorney. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so let's just start off. What is an amicus attorney? Okay, so an amicus attorney is a discretionary appointment by the court, meaning that it's not necessary in all cases. And sometimes an amicus attorney is appointed to help aid the court in making a decision when it comes to relations like custody and conservatorship type issues, rights and duties. And basically it's referred to as the third arm of the court that helps make decisions. So what are you doing in your role as an amicus? Well, um, the role is as an attorney and I am meeting first off with the parents. That's how I begin the process and listen to the parents, hear about their children. And then I ask each of the parents to give me a list of anyone that they think is relevant and important to their family. And I talk to those people and then I meet with the children and uh, get to know them. And so it's a really rewarding thing because when you're doing just generally family law, you're representing clients, you never meet the kiddos. And so it's rewarding, but it's also so hard because you have these little faces and their personalities and um, you're helping do what's the, in their best interest. So when, when you meet with the children, I mean, are you, you asking them about kind of what their experience is in this litigation? Not off the bat. No, okay. I'm, I, I'm going to go meet them at each parent's house um, and kind of get a lay of the land. And I want it to be comfortable for them because I'm a stranger. They don't know me and they're going through the hardest time that they know so far in their life. And that's that their parents are getting divorced or their parents are fighting over custody. And so I want it to be in a warm, welcoming type situation. It's just kind of in the beginning getting to know you. Sometimes the kiddos have therapists that are involved and I'm definitely going to be meeting with those therapists and, and finding out how things are going and progress that's being made and issues that are presenting themselves. How old are the kiddos that are typically appointed to represent? I wouldn't say that there's a set age. Um, I've represented um, kiddos as young as two. Um, usually I would say the majority is preteen and teen. Ch children that are old enough to talk about what's going on in their life, express their concerns and their wants and their desires. I, one of the things that's really interesting to hear um, is really what are teenagers telling you? I mean, they're here they are. Usually the amicus is appointed in cases where there's a lot of conflict, right? Correct. And so how, how what do you hear in terms of how teenagers are experiencing that conflict? Well, I think the first thing to know when you're dealing with teenagers and any parent will tell you, teenagers, they're all about me, myself, and I. Um, <laughs> what's going on in their life? They want to make sure that their life, their social life, um, is not being disturbed in any way whatsoever. And sometimes the parents are screwing that up and they're they're making their little lives, their, their world a little nastier or more complicated than it should be. So I would say the kiddos, when I meet with them, they tell me about what's important to them, their friends, their extracurricular activities, and they just wanna make sure things remain in their normal state. 
Do you um, do you sometimes find yourself in the role of like a parenting coach or a mediator when you're working with a parent? Sometimes, yes, because they're presenting issues to me and they're usually co-parenting issues. And so I really want to help them learn how to co-parent because co-parenting is what's going to help these kids and keeping the kids out of the conflict. So giving them tools. But sometimes you need to get other experts involved. I'm not enough. And um, therapists, parenting coaches, parenting facilitators, all the different roles. All the different roles. Now, I know when you're working as an amicus attorney, is different than the other role that can be appointed, the court can appoint, which is an attorney ad litem. Can yes. you talk to us a little bit about those differences? I will try my best without getting into too much legalese. But um, the difference is, is an amicus attorney, it's really like a third attorney involved in the case. I am not, I don't have an attorney-client relationship with the child like an ad litem would. And I don't have a fiduciary responsibility. And so things that I am doing is I'm talking to the kids, I'm talking to other witnesses and the therapists, and then I'm giving a recommendation to the court. And that recommendation, it's not, it's not behind closed doors. It's not, you know, me and the judge sitting and having a cup of coffee and talking about what's going on. Um, but it's participating in any and all hearings and then taking on witnesses and doing cross and direct examination, putting on evidence, and then giving that recommendation to the court as to what should happen. So if, if people were to watch a courtroom where an amicus attorney has been appointed, you wouldn't necessarily know the difference because the amicus attorney is doing the same things that the other attorneys are doing. Exactly. Right? The only difference is I'm sitting at a table by myself. Right. <laughs> I don't have a client sitting with me. Exactly. Um, and, and so sometimes people wonder, well, if you are representing the children, then is it your job to do what the children tell you to do? Well, that's a really good question. And here's an example I give to parents when that happens. So let's talk about teenagers. Um, sometimes a teenager might say, hey, I really want to live primarily with my mom. And I'll be like, oh, well, tell me about it. And, you know, kids are smart and they'll say, oh, well, mom, you know, puts, uh, makes dinner every night and she does this and she does that. And I just, I feel calmer. But then when I investigate a situation, I might find out that mom is serving alcohol to this child and their friends. And that's not the best for that child is to be underage drinking and breaking the law. Right. <laughs> so there's situations where that kind of thing is happening. And so if you were, if you were in the role of the ad litem, you would you would be working at the direction of the children, right? They would Correct. be your actual client. Correct. But when you're working the role of the amicus, it's really the best interest of the children, which is a much bigger topic, I guess. Yes. I mean, it's not a client per se. Yes. You're bringing your judgment to bear into the situation. I am. And what I think is so great about the amicus role is I am going to, in, in that role, I get to deep dive into these families and I get to observe and learn more things than any judge on any case will ever get to. And so I think that really helps the case move along and promote settlement as well. That's also another big role of the amicus attorney is to help promote settlement and try to keep things out of a courtroom. And to find, try and find solutions for the family. Absolutely. Um, now, another, another kind of role that is involved often in high custody litigation is a custody evaluation, right? Yes. And so are you doing some of the same work that the custody evaluator is doing or is it is different? Uh, same and not different. a psychologist. Yes, I am not a psychologist, um, but um, so I'm not performing psychological evaluations or um, or anything in that role. But I am, you know, talking to witnesses and other people and 
sometimes in a custody evaluation, the custody evaluator will speak to the children. It's at their discretion, but um, if they're old enough and and can say what they want. So it's a little bit, but it is also completely different. Right, right. I did a good job of you explaining did. that. Now, do you often, if you if there is a custody evaluator working, are you talking with them as yes, well? Yes, yes. And providing okay. them updates, giving them information to aid them in their custody evaluation. Okay. Now, I know, I mean, this is another attorney appointed in the case, so it can be expensive, right? How do the fees get paid? So one of the things the court considers when deciding whether or not to appoint an amicus is, can these parties afford it? And so, and, and are there resources to pay for the amicus? Because you're right, it is another attorney at an hourly rate that you're paying for this litigation. So I think that's a big factor the court considers when deciding to appoint an amicus. And then sometimes people agree to have an amicus when they can afford it, um, be part of the case so that their children's voices are being heard. Now I can imagine when you're working with families, there are times when maybe you're finding that one parent uh, maybe is providing, I don't know, better a better home for the children, just say, and that the other side is not. And I would imagine if you're having to take sides, that can be sometimes a difficult situation. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Because you, you do end up sometimes being aligned with one side and that can feel alienating to the other parent. I always try really hard to make sure that that other parent doesn't feel alienated and I give them tools and direction and um, guidance on what they need to do to help improve the parenting and the co-parenting relationship. Now, I, the best interest of the children is such a big term and, you know, we, we use it sometimes in ways... Um, that's very, very nebulous and that there's a lot of discretion involved in it. When you're talking about the best interests of the children as the amicus attorney, what are you looking at? What what kind of factors are you considering? Uh, I the think the biggest factor that I consider is the parent's relationship with each other and how much is either parent bringing the children into the litigation. And examples I've heard are, you know, your mom's doing this or, and, and involving the children that they're not, they don't want to know and they're not prepared to know. And so I think that's the biggest factor is how are these parents relating to each other and working together? And then what's going on behind the scenes? Because these children do tell on their parents because they don't like it. They don't, when you badmouth another parent, you're badmouthing that child because that child's half that parent and they're going to tell on them. And so I think those, if I had to pick two, those would be my two biggest things I look at. And it's always, it's, it's moving and making sure that there's progress that's being made in the right direction. What are some, I mean, this kind of brings us to the next question, which, I mean, those are two really important factors, that co-parenting relationship and really how do you protect your children from the litigation? What are some ways that parents can really mess up their relationship with you when you're working as an amicus? Well, I would say not communicating with me, avoiding my calls. Um, in the beginning of the relationship, I give a very detailed um, analysis of what my work is going to entail and what I need for them to do for me to aid me. And so sometimes parents follow that and sometimes parents blow it off. And so I think um, following direction and communicating with me, if there's something that you want me to do, tell me, I'll, I'll go, I'll look into it. And, um, but just constant communication and letting me know what's going on and updating me on things. Oh, that's really important. Uh, Katie, how did you get involved in this work? What, what kind of road in your life led you to family law specifically, but also really your passion in working uh, with children? Well, um, 
I was lucky in that I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer, as far as I can remember. And my parents got divorced, and well, it started when I was nine, and it didn't finish till I was twelve. And um, for those watching, that's not normal. <laughs> and um, and so it was very litigious and nasty divorce. And I didn't have an amicus attorney, and I could have really benefited from just having an adult out there to listen to me and to listen to my little brother about what we were experiencing. Uh, Cause I think it could have really helped my parents. And um, so that motivated me to get into family law. And then I've been practicing almost 17 years and then having experience in the family law realm um, and getting board certified and things like that opened up this door for the amicus attorney work. And I do a couple of cases a year. Uh, it's like I said, it's so rewarding, but it is so challenging and it's so hard because you get to know these personalities and these kids. And it's so different than just practicing representing people in divorce or custody actions. So my motivation and I think my purpose in life that I have found is to help people going through these difficult situations and get to the other side and get to the other side better. And it's so rewarding to see the, the children's lives improve and these parents' lives improve once they get the tools and they start uh, using those tools. I love that. Um, what, what are some of the most important tools that you're really encouraging parents to use these days? Well, you know, we have to have driver's license to operate a car, but there's nothing that you have to do to become a parent. And so I think all parents should be constantly working on that role and educating themselves on things that they can do better. And so something that I give um, even my clients that um, my regular clients, I give them co-parenting tools. I send books to them uh, to help them with the co-parenting relationship. There, most courts require parents to take a co-parenting online class. I think it's so beneficial and it seems common sense, but it so many people don't do what they're supposed to be doing. And so I think just constantly educating yourself and trying to improve, just like in any area of your life. I think it's so important, you know, I mean, so there there are so many tools available that could be so helpful. And, you know, we find a lot of parents just don't know when you come into a high conflict, you know, situation, you know, there weren't any books that prepared you for that. And, you know, people's natural reaction is not always the best, mm -hmm. but if they're open to education and they're open to learning more about how they can show up in a better way for their children, they can really make a difference in the lives of their kiddos. Absolutely. There's so many books out there. There's so many podcasts, there's classes, and then there's also um, information on how to communicate with someone who's probably being hostile towards you um, and, and the best tools that you can use to limit the hostility in your communications. I find that's really helpful as well. Absolutely. And I'm just going to point out, totally self-serving here, but we did an interview with Bill Eddy a while back and he is so insightful. And I think he has so many great tools for really helping people. He does. And those are one of the books that I send my clients, yeah. uh, the Biff book. The Biff and book. <laughs> he has an amazing book that came out in the fall of 2020 that deals with um, communications, online communications with your co-parent. Uh, because I, in my personal opinion, the written word is not a good way to communicate and you can't tell tone and things. And so this, it's a really good guidance on how to discuss a difficult issue that you need to keep a record of, mm -hmm. but do it in, in, in a non-hostile form. Right. And when we're doing things in a non-hostile way, we can actually open the door to finding solution, which is amazing. Absolutely. So, well, Absolutely. I, I, I'm so impressed with the work that you're doing with families these days. And I Thank know, you. Um, you know, it's hard work to do and it takes, it really takes a lot of courage to be an amicus and to step into 
these dynamics that can be um, that can be very challenging. But you know, it's so important for kiddos to have a voice and to be heard in that process. So well, thank you. Well, thank you. I, I really enjoy it. We're going to include a link to Katie Lewis's website so you can learn more about her practice. And uh, we want to thank you for tuning in today. And we hope you'll check out some of our other videos that we have. Uh, so on healthy co-parenting communication. If you've enjoyed uh, this uh, this session, please subscribe and tune in for more. Thank you so much.